0: Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 286.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence
0: experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to episode 286 on Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Hope your 2017 is off to a great start. Hope you're knee-deep in your leadership development process, understanding that leadership is a lifetime pursuit. It never ends, it never stops. You're constantly seeking self-improvement constantly trying to find things to do where you can become composed, confident, consistent, and courageous in everything you do. That's what we talk about here in Dose of Leadership, and I hope you're finding Dose of Leadership as one of the many resources that you have at your fingertips, at your disposal to become the leader that you were called to be. That is the mission of Dose of Leadership, and I'm so happy that you're tuning into the show. Love this conversation today with William Clough. You've probably never heard of William Clough, but he's a CEO of of a company called CUI Global. And um, he's got an interesting story. As he talks about here, you know, he was uh, nearing retirement after a very successful career as a law enforcement, uh, even a federal air marshal, and as as an attorney and a lawyer, and he represented all kinds of companies, especially in the entertainment industry. And he had $2 million in he was talked to invest in a company, this company called CUI Global. Well, then after a while, he realized the investment wasn't turning out like he thought, and um, he eventually ended up becoming the CEO of the company. Fascinating story. How could you like it if you were at your, what you thought you were going to retire, and uh, you put an investment in a company, you didn't like where the company was going, so you decided to take over as the president and CEO. Well, that's what my guest, William Clough, did. That's the great thing about this show. I meet so many interesting people, and um, this was one of the great conversations, and you'll see why as you get into it. so many leadership nuggets in there. Uh, Bill definitely gets it. He's the real deal. He's one of those leaders that you've heard me talk about here time and time again, who puts the emphasis on um, communicating where the ship is heading and why. It's all about intent, right? And then surrounding yourself with the most quality people, the best quality people that you can find. And turning him loose and getting out of the way. Now that's the harder way to lead, as he talks about in this episode. But it's the only, really, the right way to lead if you're gonna, you know, achieve significance and greatness. And uh, I just love this conversation. I can't emphasize it enough. And you're really gonna enjoy it. You know, from the intentionality to the habits, to the decentralized decision making, to you know, doing what's right, the accountability, all of those great things that we talk about here on Dose of Leadership. And if you listen to the show, it hits all the high points. And this, to me, I think this is one of the gems uh, uh, interviews that uh, it's just chock full of leadership guidance in 30 minutes. So I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Hey, 2017 uh, is shaping up to be a completely different year for me. I have shifted my focus on a new business called Verum Communications. And I wanna spend a, just a, a minute here to tell you about it. Because I need your help in finding companies uh, that could, could fit the bill. As you know, if you listen to the show, you know I like to have conversations. It's all about authentic and transparent conversations. And I started a company called Verum Communications. And Verum, V-E-R-U-M, stands, is Latin for true. And what I do is I offer CEOs and business leaders a uniquely disruptive communication solution. I love power podcasting. The The power of the podcast has completely changed my life. I love doing this. I love having the conversation. So this is what I do. At Verum, I offer my interviewing skills, my podcasting ex- expertise, and my leadership experience in, in the military and business world to create an internal on-demand podcast, an audio show pushed out to a customized branded mobile app. And this allows the organization to positively disrupt their current communication strategy. The whole intent is to allow an organization to economically, authentically, and rapidly engage with all its listeners, all its key stakeholders, its employees, in a way that they've never been able to in the past. Ultimately, this allows the CEO in the organization to maximize engagement, to facilitate change, and rapidly develop trust. To me, the internal podcast is going to be the basis, the foundation of a cultural, a cultural leadership, and that's what I intend to provide for these organizations. So if you know of any CEOs, any organizations that are about 8,000 or more employees distributed over a large geographic area, please send them my way. I'd love to get in touch with them because I would love to start and produce an internal podcast for them. That is my big push for 2017 and I appreciate your help in putting me in contact with those organizations. Again, thanks for being a fan of the show. Check out uh, doseofleadership.com and richardryerson.com and com to learn more about myself and the services that I provide. All right, without further ado, here's William Clough, Bill Clough the CEO of CUI Global here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Bill, I'm so excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend.
1: Well, thank you, Richard. Good to be on.
0: I love talking with CEOs. I've, I've said that on the show before because it just I'm always amazed at um, the breadth and complexity from a leadership standpoint of, of being a CEO, and that's personally why I like talking with them. Give me a little background about how you became the CEO of, of uh, CUI Global.
1: Well, it's an interesting story. It was really out of necessity as opposed to desire. I was uh, uh, back in 2006 a uh, relatively large investor in the company. It was a very different company then. Uh, I was actually at the time working as a uh, attorney. I had my own law firm in California. I was a litigation specialist, and I had invested a couple million dollars into uh, a company, frankly, without doing a lot of uh, background. It was a friend of mine who got me involved, and I came in originally to protect my investment. Oh. I was told quite unexpectedly that the the management team apparently was incapable of doing the job. I ended up coming in to try and save what I had put into the company, and came in first as general counsel, and ultimately became uh, CEO. And uh, like I say, it was more out of necessity than uh, than desire originally. And uh, now it's kind of morphed into something that I I think I'm pretty good at and I enjoy doing.
0: That's interesting. So, what brought you to the point? Had you semi-retired before? And, you know, so you invested in this company. You had some some nest egg money that you wanted to invest. Is in and- So you weren't looking to be a CEO is what I'm hearing.
1: No, I actually was running a uh, uh, three-office, 30-lawyer law firm uh, based in San Francisco. We had offices in San Francisco, L.A., and Honolulu. Uh, Really, we did high-end litigation. I did a lot of work uh, um, on the business side of the entertainment industry, represented MGM, 20th Century Fox, and others. Also did a lot of work with uh, um, high-end personal injury regarding uh, uh, very complex issues around uh, commercial hard-hat divers uh, who are generally very young guys in very dangerous occupations Yeah, suffer severe injuries. So I, that was my whole focus. I had had a friend of mine who I had made investments with before and to be frank with you stupidly, he came to me and said, look, I got this investment opportunity. Give me some money. We're going to buy this company. It's a great company. And I did, you know, trusting him, I did that gave him a couple million dollars. Um, Six, eight months later, I'm now getting ready to sell my practice. I was considering retirement, and I get notified by him that, (laughs) remember that money we put up? Those guys don't know what they're doing. We're going to lose that money. Well, frankly, losing $2 million was not part of my retirement plan. Oh,
0: my God. So
1: so that's how I got involved in uh, – originally, the company was uh, um, New uh, Millennium Media, a company called NMMI, and we subsequently changed it to a company named Waytronics, and then ultimately – after acquiring the uh, electronics division CUI, we became CUI Global.
0: That is an amazing story I mean I, 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 I can't fully appreciate every th- the, the maybe the stress the anxiety that you were going through to jump into this but from entertainment perspective from my vantage point that is a great story um, Oh my gosh I just tested
1: it, it tested the boundaries if you want to talk about the boundaries of leadership. I ended up actually in 2008 having possession of a company with 19 million dollars a year in revenue and 41 and a half million dollars in debt
0: oh my god
1: and we had a plan the plan was we were going to go out in November of 2008 raise a bunch of equity and uh, you know pay off the debt go on about our business of course you'll remember in September of 2008 Lehman Brothers collapsed right the economy went over the cliff and we had no equity market to go to So, in essence, at that point, we had a company that was not effectively, but literally bankrupt. Um, I went to the board and said, look, give us a chance. I had a very capable CFO working with me, a guy by the name of Dan Ford. We both looked at the company, felt that there was an opportunity here if we did a couple of things, streamlined the business, verticalized sales, did some other things, and literally – we got that opportunity and we took the company from $19 million in 2008 to $26 million in 2009. We did 31 or $32 million in 2010 and almost $40 million in 2011. We then went out to the market, uh, reversed our stock, uh, raised $15 million, um, paid off effectively paid off the rest of the debt and uh, um, uplisted to the NASDAQ. Today, that same company is effectively debt-free doing just under $100 million in revenue. And is a very different uh, company. But it was definitely, uh, we talked earlier about climbing out of the mud. We were definitely climbing out of the mud.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. That is just an amazing story. I'm curious if you had to kind of package it up and in, write in, ele- in, in an elevator and tell me what was the main thrust or the catalyst behind the turnaround. What was it?
1: Well, it was twofold. We had a base. We had a very good um, acquisition that we made with... Uh, a company called CUI, a little company out of uh, uh, Tualafin, Oregon, Portland, Oregon area. And that company uh, had been a uh, owned by a family who built a very strong base within that company, but had really not done some of the things that uh, um, you do in a publicly traded sense. In other words, they had a sales force that really sat in an office and answered phones and looked at the Internet and, and you know, in essence, responded to sales calls. But we had, they had no one outside, actually. Selling the company so we verticalized that group we actually went out got manufacturing reps got some outside sales people based on commission and really took that and uh, began to grow it Uh, at the same time we were opportunistic looking at technologies and and, uh, you know in essence uh, acquisitions we could make and the one that was probably the most significant is we acquired a very unique um, analytic uh, uh, device for the natural gas industry we took that parlayed that into um Really, the purchase of Orbital, which was a very respected integration company in the UK, and have since really not looked back. We have now taken that those two divisions: the electronics company, which is still you know branded under CUI, and the gas and energy uh, company that is still branded under Orbital. And we've taken both of them out and really dramatically increased uh, you know the revenues, the size, the breadth, you know the uh, the market penetration. And I think you know we've again we talked about this earlier. We're at a point where we are. Really, um, very close now to, I believe, an inflection point where we'll see certainly the gas side of the business start to take off because this technology is really quite different, uh, quite unique, and uh, we think is going to change the industry.
0: That's an amazing story. I love this. I, I, how has your leadership been tested over these last ten years? I mean, has it has? I mean, you come from, and I, I want to get into this too. You know, you were a law enforcement officer, local, state, even a federal air marshal. You became a lawyer. <laughs> Is this the ultimate yeah. leadership test? I mean, t-
1: yeah, I, well, I cut my teeth, I think, on leadership in really small unit management. Yeah. Um, if I had if I had one management concept that I would push to people, it would be uh, Stanley McChrystal's book, Team of Teams. Mm. He uh, talks about going into Afghanistan, being the uh, manager of the Special Operations Group, and and seeing um, very very capable um, small units in very very tight silos, not communicating, not working together and really being quite ineffective. Um, in their own silos, they were very effective, SEAL team, Delta Force, very effective operators, logistics people, very effective logistics people, very effective intelligence people. And in isolation, they were very good in their silos. But unfortunately, as a team, as a unit, they didn't work together at all, so they were very ineffective. I saw the same thing. I was a tactical operator for eight years um, in a California um, law enforcement agency and then became a tactical division commander in uh, um state of Hawaii. And I saw exactly that when I was managing these small teams. You have very competent people who are highly trained, quite elite, um, arrogant, as those types of people tend to be, and self-sufficient. They don't want to depend on anybody else. Well, To break down those barriers and make them understand that, that there are other people with other talents that can actually assist them is what I think I've been very good at. And so I took that concept and I really worked it in, in my law practice, to be honest with you, I was a very successful lawyer in California because I surrounded myself with very good people and allowed them to blossom, to actually make decisions and be responsible and uh, and do what I knew they could do. I brought that to this um, operation as well. and I think what I've done is taken, by and large, young, talented, um, aggressive um, men and women um, and allowed them to do what I think they can do, and and they've proved me right. They are people who, if you give them the responsibility, if you push down the responsibility, push down the accountability, they'll make the right decisions as long as, you know, they all know what we're headed for, what's the goal, make it a a company goal, and we've done that. And I think it's been, so far at least, very successful. I, I talk to investors oftentimes, and I'll tell them, we came from basically eight years ago, a company that was, as I mentioned, was not effectively it was literally bankrupt and we brought that company to where it is today if you think that was an accomplishment come back and look at me five years from now yeah because this same team has what it needs now to build this into a multinational i think very very valuable company and i think we'll do that through that same really the same team building small unit uh, Management that that I've used the whole of, of my
0: career, uh, Bill, as music to my ears. I mean, you're you're singing this song that we talk about here on Dose of Leadership, and and I love what you said. And and when I got uh, thrust out of the Marine Corps, when I got laid off from, I went to the Marine Corps and then I went to American Airlines, and then short stint there, nine eleven forced me into the corporate sector. If I could sum up anything that I saw, is the biggest. Frustration or the biggest challenge that's put me on this crusade for dose of leadership. You you nailed it right there when you said it's about surrounding yourself with these, you know, aggressive, hard charging. um, You know, I can climb up this wall and do anything. But you said the problem is is like they're they're effective in that small unit. How do you get the whole unit on the same page? And what I heard you say, and what is so true, is that your job as as the top leader is communicating the overall intent. You know, this is where the ship is heading and why it's heading this way. And if those teams know that it's almost like intuitively, they feel so much more empowered to make those decisions that, you know, you you start to create a culture where you're asking for forgiveness instead of permission. And to me, I think that's the ideal. What are your thoughts on that?
1: You're absolutely right. And in fact, I I will tell you, and I have this conversation oftentimes with my uh, top management people, you the easy way to manage people, the easy way to manage people, and the way that I believe ineffective managers do it is to be a control freak, if you will. right. You will do it my way. Don't tell me what you want to do. Don't tell me how you you, you do it my way or you get out. go the highway. And, that, and number one that's to me that shows a lack of confidence on the manager's part and it's in a, it's not effective. The difficult way to manage people is to ask the question, what would you do? Yes. What do you think we should do? And, and they're not always going to be right. And right. The, frankly, that's my job is to make sure that you know, I give the advice and, and, and make sure that they don't make you know, significant mistakes that are going to hurt us. But on the other hand, if you have the right people around you, which is obviously incumbent on, on a manager to get, they're going to do a good job and they're going to intentionally work hard to impress not only you, but to show you what they can do. And you're absolutely right. Then it becomes only a matter of making sure we're all on the same page. We're all pulling towards the same objective. If we do that, then they understand. There's no competition between silos. Those silos are compatible. The logistics group is just as important as the operational group. That's just as important as the sales group. That's just as important as the engineering group because as a unit, they're all supporting each other, and that's the key to it. And and again, I think if you go through whether it was when I was, you know, operating a tactical operations team or or a division, whether it was operating a law firm or in, in this case operating a publicly traded company, you can go, I think, to almost every level of my organization and ask them where we're headed, what's our objective, what are we trying to do. And everybody will know what that is. There's it's real it's real clear. But it's it's a difficult thing to do as a manager. The yes. easy the easy way to manage it is to just tell people, do it this way.
0: <laughs> right. You're but absolutely the, right.
1: What you end up then is is you can get no bigger than that manager because you've obviously limited yourself to whoever that manager is, and you tend to create um, a, a scenario where people are not motivated they don't want to do better because they understand you know the, this this man or this woman they don't want me to have input, they don't want me to be assertive they don't want me they just want to tell me what to do and fine I'll do it. I don't want that. I want my managers, my subordinates, the people who work for me to know that they can be the best that they want to be. They can go as far as they want. They can make decisions. As long as they are doing what I believe is, is appropriate and reasonable and, and necessary to accomplish our joint goals, then I'm going to give them as much leeway as I possibly can.
0: Yeah, I love and, that.
1: And me that's, it's tough, though. It's a tough way to manage. No, oh,
0: it is very tough. And, but, but I think you cannot um, underestimate the power of communicating where the ship is heading and why it's hard to do. And, but I think it is the number one job that the senior leadership has to be focused on too often. It seems as, and I'm guilty of this, is that you're, you're stuck down in the tactical side of it. There's so much power in that uh, communicating the overall intent. I mean, it's almost, and I think when you get in the senior leadership role, you feel like you, because you came from the tactical. So you feel like you got to be doing the tactical all the time, but if you got to, to me, it's all about communication and you cannot over communicate where the ship is going and why it's heading that way, because that is the number one driver of engagement. I believe if I'm a key stakeholder in your organization and I know where you're taking us and I know how my job affects where you want to take us, then I'm completely engaged. Otherwise, like you, you pointed out, if I'm just being told what to do, I'm just, you know, you're putting a lid on my my potential and the organization's potential and eventually too
1: exactly right. and especially today because if you think about it the key uh, to, to, to our organization is we're nimble we're small right. we can make this quickly we can move fast uh, uh, frankly um, you take a big organization I don't care what it is but you take a big large cumbersome organization
0: uh, you know many
1: large corporations they're problem is they're successful they make a lot of money there's no doubt about that but they can't move quickly right they know that they can't they 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 have to move very slowly because there's layer after layer of bureaucracy there's forms that have to be filled out and permissions that have to be gotten I've prided myself on trying to keep my organization and it's you know it's not a big organization but we've got almost 400 employees worldwide we've got offices you know on seven different continents and you know what uh, 12 different countries countries now so we've got I, we're spread out but I know on a monthly or bi-monthly basis, I'm talking to every one of my managers everywhere in the world. And what we're talking about is issues and problems that are affecting them and how we as an organization can address that. I know that by doing that, they know they're part of the process. And if something arises in our Japan office or our Canada office or the UK or Italy or France, they don't have to get on a phone and start talking to me about what's going to happen. They know how to react. Now they're going to let me know, obviously, because that's the two-way communication. But I don't have; they don't have to wait. They know that they've, they that that they have my permission, my authority, that I trust them to make those decisions. And that's that again. I get back to it. It's a difficult way to um, supervise because you do have to build trust. And here's the other thing you got to build, and it's something that that you often I know, <laughs> being in the Marine Corps, being in the military, is much like being in the police department. You see occasions where people, frankly get promoted maybe above where they should be. Yeah. And what happens in that case, almost without exception, is they become very defensive about their abilities and what they can do. And what that tends to breed is a lack of communication. Yeah. They keep information close to themselves. They don't want to let you know what's going on because they're afraid you might be the guy who takes their job or you might be the guy who's a little better than they are. I want an organization where everybody blossoms, where those managers know that I'm judging them on how they're bringing up their people because I want to be judged on how I'm bringing up my people. I have, I have every incentive to make people know when things are good and things happen that are, are good, I give full credit to anybody and everybody that I can. On the other hand, as a manager, if there's a problem and there's blame to be taken, i I got big enough shoulders that I take that blame. That's, but that's uh, the type of manager that I think most people want to work for, and it's the type of manager who builds a cohesive, you know, successful organization. Uh, but it's again. We get back to it. That is a difficult way to manage. It takes commitment.
0: It does. It take, and that's why leadership is so hard. I mean, you hit on the point of accountability. Talking, and that, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about that because you seem like a, um, a man that understands the power of accountability. You know, as you know, I'm driving this ship, even though f- my functional leader if I'm your navigator or whatever and I make the mistake and you as a leader functionally didn't do anything wrong, you're still accountable for my mistake. Right. And, and that right. that's a hard pill for a lot of people to, or a concept for people to understand sometimes.
1: But I'll tell you, you will never, ever, um, and you probably know this, but you'll never build a more loyal,
0: oh my God, yeah.
1: than one where you step up to the plate and go, that was my, that was, that's my responsibility. Don't look, to somebody else don't look to my navigator if you will don't look no that was my responsibility there was a mistake made and i take full responsibility for that that individual will be loyal to you forever, forever.
0: they will follow because you to the it. gates of hell they will follow you exactly. through the yes oh my yeah. god you just you hit That's it right exactly in the exactly right yeah. yeah
1: and you turn around Yeah, you turn that around and here's the other end of it which is again difficult for many supervisors to do and something good happens and you go that wasn't my doing. That was, that was theirs. My, yeah. That was my subordinates doing. He did that or she did that. Yeah. That's, that's again, the same thing. You build loyalty that way. And, and and frankly, I don't know that people even accept it or realize it. By doing that, you make yourself stronger. You do.
0: Yeah, for sure. You
1: surround yourself with a team. You can never be, in a, as as a single individual, you can never be as strong as a very, very strong team. You just can't be. Yeah. It's impossible to do. So to build that team, though, it takes discipline. It takes you know thought it takes the ability to delegate and to if you're going to delegate you got to give people a responsibility to to uh, to be accountable for yeah. what you delegate. You
0: know I I think the most liberating thing and I've been in leadership roles where you know I was probably wasn't prepared for the title and the role and when I found myself in those situations the more I you know, turn to the experts around me and the more vulnerable I became and the more that I just stopped worrying about being wrong, that's when things started to change for me, you know, because the the natural tendency is to be defensive, like you said, but if you can just completely say, look, I'm not worried about being wrong and I'm not, I, I'm admitting, I don't have all the answers and you vulnerable to the, the idea of like, I'm not, I'm just not worried about being wrong anymore. Then my whole world started to change. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yep. No, I agree with you hundred percent. I actually, I, I teach manager, management classes on occasion and I talk to people about the fact that I want you to think, think back to the time that you worked for somebody, cause we all had a boss like this at some point where when you walked out of that office, you said to yourself, how did I ever get to work for this person? Yeah. They generally don't care about you. They don't know your job. They're only caring about themselves and what they look like and that they're, you know, getting all the credit and none of the blame. And you, you want to think about that supervisor and never be that supervisor. And you're absolutely right. If you do that, if you allow people to make decisions and if you then support them in those those decisions, um, again, making them accountable but still supporting them, that it takes a big person to do that. You have to put your ego aside. You have to realize that you know, yours is not the only way and that other people do have good ideas and – you know, should get credit for those good
0: ideas. Yeah. So is your foundation, would you say your foundation of leadership really came from the law enforcement world? I mean, it sounds like it. I mean, because I look back at at the Marine Corps, and it certainly is um, a contributing factor to any modicum of success that I've had up to this point. Was that law enforcement culture kind of your basis? Yeah, I think it's the same,
1: and I would compare it. I mean, obviously I was never in the Marine Corps, but it it was small unit management, Mm -hmm. and it's a situation where you, you are dependent on you know a team of of people who really are you know in essence supporting you in life and death situations and it and there is you know there's no replacement for that i mean one of the things that uh, that uh, you know we talk about in in just a military experience is that you get to build if you if it's the right military experience you get to build a, a sense of team that you don't build you can't build almost any way else because you never have you know that situation where it is truly life and death where you are depending on these people and you have to be able to trust them if yeah. you don't as you well know if you're if you're involved in a small combat unit or a small fire team or a small SWAT unit like i was you you know very quickly if you have somebody on that team you can't depend on yep. and you know and I know that person doesn't last on that team very long right that you move them along so what you end up doing is building a group of individuals you can trust you can depend on and once you once you've had that i mean i've I've told many people this over the course of my career i I spent the first eight years of my professional life on a small unit, um, a tactical team, I was, I was a was SWAT fire team leader, and I spent the the rest of my life trying to rebuild that team. I always wanted to have that. I always wanted to have that group of people that I knew I could trust. I didn't have to watch my back. I didn't have to think whether or not you know I was getting, you know, um, in essence stabbed behind my back or or you know uh, talked about in a way that I didn't. I knew the people that I dealt with. I trust it because I took care of them, they took care of me. Well, I've now in this uh, professional setting, in this company, that's what I've built. I've built a company now that I feel very strongly has a management concept that by and large are people who trust each other. They can talk to each other. They can, you know, in essence, uh, bounce ideas off of each other. There's, uh, you know, there doesn't have to be a lot of competition because everybody knows that everybody's going to get the credit for what they do and that if there is a mistake, no one's going to get singled out. It's going to be one of those things where we're going to learn from that mistake and move forward.
0: I love it. What about your personal habits? I mean, what do you do to or what have you done to continually improve as an individual and as a leader?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I'm uh, I'm very committed to, to uh, um, continuing to work out and be in, in good physical shape because that's something that I think is very important. I mean, you, you can't do this job, certainly you can't do any job that's demanding and that has the travel requirements and some of the stress requirements that, that this has. Without being in pretty good physical shape, so I'm very committed to working out. And then, you know, I'm also I'm very committed to to an outside life, to a to a family life. I have a wife that I have a very close relationship with, and I have interests outside of work. And I think that to be a fully, you know, integrated person who can do what what I like to do, which is you know, in essence, relate to people and and bring people along. You have you can't just be focused on on business or on the professional life. You've got to have outside interests. You've got to have hobbies, whether it's you know skiing or um, reading or you know whatever it happens to be something outside of that business world that that makes you a more complete person. So, to me, that's that's part of uh, of uh, you know it's almost the the Renaissance type situation that you see with I think truly good le- leaders guys like McChrystal and others who who are not just committed to to one area of their life. They actually try and broaden that. And I try and do the same thing. Yeah,
0: it's it's that same kind of intentionality and intensity of will uh, in every aspect of your life. And I think that's where some people you know I, I i'm not a big fan of the word the term work life balance but i mean cuz it's all about priorities but i think that if um and they always shift but you've got to have that same intensity of will and that same humility that same uh drive in every aspect be it physical fitness be it relationships family friends faith whatever the case may be i, I agree with you it, 100% it's
1: it's a this it's this at it one, one of the one of the um most amusing things, but most true things that uh, McChrystal talks about in some of his speeches, is he says, he makes his own bed every morning, and the reason he does it is because he knows that he's accomplished one task every day.
0: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's, it is that. It is. It is that kind of intentionality. You're absolutely right. Yeah. There is, and and it, it, that translates. You you can't be one thing at work and and something other yeah. somewhere else. I mean, Amen. you can't have you can't be a loyal. Um, you know, team builder, if you will, at work, if you're not a loyal team builder at home uh, yeah. with the family, you're not, you're, you can't be effective, you know, as, uh, as a uh, a mentor, if you will, to, uh, to employees and subordinates and managers, if you're not a mentor to your kids and, and your family, because it all translates. Um, so you're absolutely right. It is very much an intentional thing. And I think, you know, really, really good leaders, really competent people that they, they, they live their whole lives that way.
0: Yeah. Whose shoulders are you standing on? If you could look back and you say, "These are the people that helped me be the man that I am."
1: That is a very interesting question. I would say, I would say there's probably there's probably three mentors I'd point to. I, I have I was I have a, a very extensive background in the martial arts. I have a seventh degree black belt in Shaolin Southern Style Kung Fu, and my instructor, a guy by the name of Lee Birchfield, who's who's passed away now was someone who had a huge influence on me in my younger life. I was I started with him when I was 13, and I've studied the system now. I hate to say it, probably <laughs> going on 50 years, so I've, I've been in the system a long time. Um, and he was a very big, uh, had, had a very big effect on me. I had a, a tactical division commander that I worked for, a governor named George Straka, who was also very much um, a, a McChrystal-type leader, if you will, he led by example he was someone who pushed down control and I learned a lot from him um, and then I had an attorney that I worked for when I first got out of law school guy named John Hillsman who was again very similar um, very principled guy um, had uh, um, a very successful practice and uh, had I think the the pride of saying that he had never ever taken a case uh, for money and had never ever taken a case that he didn't believe in and I tried to do the same thing in my practice, and again, I think if you look at those three individuals they they if if uh if I were to point to the the people that I you know credit or blame for for how I turned out, those yeah. would be the three I love that
0: i love the I love that question because it in when the the response people give when I love the kind of personal um connection you know it'd be interesting to know if some of these people knew that you looked at them as you Know the shoulders you're standing on, you know, it'd be interesting. It's always, I love the personal uh um, answer to that. You know, it's always like a, a close family member or some teacher or some you know, someone that you work with early on. Um, and it's interesting. I wonder if they know that that's what you think about them.
1: You know, it's, it's that is it's hard to say. Um, it, it is, I think, I'm, I certainly think that uh, Hilsman knows, I mean, the the attorney knows I was, I was, you know, he was later in my life. So he was somebody that I made sure he knew, but the others, I don't know. I, I think that w- the one thing I will tell you though, that the three of them did that I try and do myself is they didn't lead by telling people yeah. that they were leaders. Yeah. They led by showing people that they were leaders. They led by, sh- by being leaders, by having command presence, by living as an example. And I think when you look at people like that, I hope and and uh, think that I am a person like that that people look to and say, okay, you know, this is an honorable guy who's going to do what he said he's going to do, um, and uh, you know, that's that's that, that's a lot of what life is all about: showing yeah. up and doing what you tell people you're going to do.
0: For sure. Well, I, from my personal opinion, I think you know, CUI Global is blessed to have the type of leadership that 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 is at the helm under your steed there, and it's just impressive to me. And I love this conversation; so many great nuggets. Um, And certainly the philosophy that we talk about here on Dose of Leadership, from the decentralized decision-making to the accountability to the individual responsibility, intentionality, all of that stuff just resonates so well with me and and brings a lot of warmth to my heart and soul because that's the type of leadership that I think is needed, so desperately needed in so many aspects of life. And so what's next for CUI Global? It sounds like you said you're on the kind of precipice here. You may be one of those, as Jim Collins talks about in Good to Great, are you at a point where this could— Stop being a good company and turn into a great company. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, there's a whole lot that goes into uh, turning around a publicly traded company. You know, you've got uh, a lot of headwinds. We've had just a lot of, you know, uh, macro headwinds just in in the uh, energy industry over the last few years. But I think, yeah, we're 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 very close to turning the corner. I think we've we have acquired some technology that's quite unique. Um, Especially the analyzer that uh, that uh, in essence uh, sets forth the uh, quality of the gas, and I think we are in 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 a sense at a at a time when uh, this is a very very interesting company to be involved in. I mean, we just last year signed a contract with the Italian pipeline company that's going to be worth somewhere around 60 million euros for us. It's the biggest contract we've ever signed, and I think it's the first of many that will show the industry that uh, you know we can do what we what we said we can do. I mean, one of the things that you find in any business is that you have you know, hyperbole and, uh, you know, people who are, who are making claims that they can't fulfill. We have prided ourselves on being very honest with the market and in telling the market what we can and can't do. And I think uh, um, up until, you know, the Italian um, decision to, to go into contract with us, which is a very slow process, it took almost five years. But they are now seeing that we are doing for them exactly what we said we would do. We are providing them with an accurate, fast, inexpensive, efficient way to measure the quality of gas um, that they've never seen before. And they are now, as I knew they would be, are becoming a very, very good um, example client for us. They're talking to the French. They're talking to the Germans. They're talking to the English. And and we now are getting people to realize this company is exactly what we said it was, a very high-tech, very advanced uh, company that's going to provide – um unique technology to the energy industry and i think as, as that becomes more evident and those you know um technologies get out into the marketplace and people see what they can do i think this company is going to be very very strong over the next few years and i think we're going to see some real traction develop we're already starting to see it in western europe and i think as we start to attack um the uh, north american markets for our youth in office you know we'll see the same thing in north america so yeah it's an exciting time to be with the company and, and i think it's a, an exciting company to uh, to look at for investment purposes
0: well, it sounds exciting. And like I said, Bill, I think you sound like the real deal to me. It's an honor to have you on this show. It's a, I'm a, I'm privileged to, to have you in the Dose of Leadership circle. I look forward to staying in touch with you and seeing what happens with your company and, and with you as an individual as well. Thanks for coming on the show, my friend.
1: My pleasure, Richard. And seriously, don't hesitate to call me. You can always get a hold of me. I mean, you know my contact info, so don't hesitate. If you have a question or, you know, you uh, you want to do another interview or I can provide any insight into anything, please don't hesitate to call. Well, uh, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. You, you've provided some great nuggets here and a great conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. Hope you're finding some great value in Dose of Leadership. Hey, go check out my website, doseofleadership.com. Get your free access to some videos or to my free ebook. Also, check out richardryerson.com. If you're interested in one-on-one coaching, group coaching, seminars, or you're needing somebody to speak at your next event, I'm always available. Check out more at richardryerson.com. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. I'd love to hear from you. Richard at doseofleadership.com. It's a great way to get in touch with me. Find me on my Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, Twitter, Get in touch with me. We'll make it a great one.